If only Joe Pesci had sung in Moonwalker. In honor of Begin Again, what actor slash actress not known for musical talent surprised you with a musical performance in a movie? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with myself and my guitar in Moneyball. It's a movie I do not remember turning into a child to make, but I've been told I'm great in it. <laughs> hey, it's me, Dave with the Seven. I'm going with Rick Moranis in Little Shop of Horrors, because awesome. Oh, yeah, that's a good reason. I am Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara's duet, A Kiss at the End of a Rainbow from a Mighty Wind, a tear-jerking moment from, uh, born from pure absurdism. I'm David Ehrlich. Uh, I will say, Katie Rich, I've been seeing you in other movies, although I can't remember which one. Um, I think you're confusing and- her. I think you're confusing baby Katie Rich with the girl from White House Down. Oh, no, yeah, baby. That's not me. Oh, oh, really? No, baby Katie Rich has definitely been elsewhere. Anyway, um, and Dave Gonzalez is definitely one of those people who says Little Shop of Whores, as is Matt Patches. I think we've had this discuss- discussion before, but I'm going to go with Peter Stormare from Dancer in the Dark, who uh, does not really have musical talent in the conventional sense, but it works beautifully in the context of the movie. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's 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 awesome. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 28 for Tuesday, June 24th, 2014. Just a friendly reminder, if you have yet to leave us an iTunes review, please do. We love them. We need them. They help us uh, find new audiences. And there's all this competition out there in film podcast land these days. So help us. And we uh, sometimes will read your reviews on the air. That's true. So in this space, we'll read your reviews. They can be, they can be witty or just very catty. Or they can just shamelessly promote yourself. Who cares? Yep. As long as we get those numbers. Just give us the attention we need and we will give you attention right back. Uh, so over this past weekend, uh, David and I were very lucky to see uh, the latest Spike Lee joint entitled "Da Sweet Blood of Jesus," not the "Da," um, which I don't think either of us really knew was done. It kind of, this kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, right? I mean, it had been well. That just that just shows how uh, our tunnel vision as white people and white critics in in New York because the. Uh, what is the name of the well, film festival? Well, it was, it was the, the f- closing film of the American right. Black Film Festival, which, to be fair to us, is celebrating its first year in New York City. It this is true. I think that's Florida. the... That's that's really our only excuse, and the fact that you know we were—I never received a single press release about this. Um, no, this, so no this came really out of nowhere. I think it was a pretty late right. edition, and you could tell from the opening intro that this was like Spike Lee could take this film to any festival, uh, but he's right. he's kind of giving it to us, and we're going to debut this thing, and it was a very tiny screening, um, and I, I I was particularly intrigued by this movie because. Of these past, I mean, even the past decade of of Spike Lee's output has been kind of, I mean, I I'd be uh, hard pressed to call it uh, like bad or awful, even though Old Boy is awful. Um, it's just been kind of scatterbrained and strained, strange and um, very maybe indulgent is the word. Spike Lee knows that he makes Spike Lee movies and he's going to make Spike Lee movies, and even the Kickstarter for this 
project, you know, he went out and he asked people for money and they raised $1.4 million to make The Sweet Blood of Jesus, was all about, here is my legacy, help make another Spike Lee joint, here are the movies I've made, we want to make another one, and um, and he certainly has, and it's it's quite a vicious movie, it's a, a lust-filled movie, it's a very strange, strange, funny movie, um, and this to me, feels more like him than anything else he's done in a very long time, um, because I think he has a very strange sense of humor. And But it's also a, a remake of sorts of this, um, I believe it's 1973 blaxploitation movie called Ganja and Hess, uh, which he adores and is all about. It's not a vampire movie. This is very, he wants to make this very clear. It's not a vampire movie. It's about people who are addicted to blood. And um, this guy, Hess, who he's a professor and he's very rich and he has a house at Martha's Vineyard and he finds this dagger uh, from an ancient African culture. And when he accidentally gets stabbed with, stabbed with it, he becomes vampiric of sorts. He, he wants to feast on people's blood. And to do this, he winds up going to the projects quite often and, and seeking out women in the projects to kill and, and suck their blood and it's and he eventually takes a wife a, a the wife of a former colleague of his and he kind of entrances her and, and seduces her and they become entangled and um he has to teach her the ways of of uh, being addicted to blood and he wants her to be eventually immortal. or yes. in their first conversation yeah, it's, it's pretty clear that they're going to become an immortal duo of sorts, and he he will he will show her the way of of the blood, and it's it's a very peculiar movie with some I think astonishing footage, you know, especially for this kind of HD low budget world that we live in. Um, it's a, it's a beautiful film. It's a peculiar film. Um, Bruce Hornsby, who did the music for. Uh, Red Hook Summer returns once again with some great piano riffs, and it's it's for me. I I, I can't help but because of this Kickstarter campaign, because Spike Lee introduced this film to us without giving us any information, without giving the people who were, he wanted to donate money any information about this film, only that it was going to be another Spike Lee joint. I can't help but really put it side by side with a lot of the things he's made now and a lot of things he made early in his career that kind of solidified him as an important voice. This guy who's up there with the Scorseses of the world or with these real auteur filmmakers. He seems to be very aware of his legacy, unlike many filmmakers. Um, and yet I don't find this movie to be that indulgent in a way that I was kind of expecting from someone who seems that self-aware. David, what do you think? I think indulgent is not the right word. I think that I'm, I'm saying it, it's not, is, it's not indulgent. Uh, no, I, I think it's, you're wrong to say that of his previous few years. I think that it's a presumptuous of where, uh, an artist's head is at. I think my concern going into this movie, and as I said to you, standing in the lobby before the movie began, I was like, I, I don't really, I'm sort of afraid. Like, I don't really know what this is going to be like. Because my concern over the past few years is not that Spike Lee's been indulgent, but that he's sort of been out of touch. Uh, I think it is a fair if uh, or common if sort of ageist accusation against uh, filmmakers who have been in the game a while and are getting a little bit older. I think Richard Brody referred to this as a, a late film in his review. But also, you know, he hasn't really made, for me, an exciting, a genuinely exciting piece of fiction since 25th Hour in 2002. And, you know, Inside right, Man, I don't decade, think it's a really exciting movie. By. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he was out there tweeting, you know, obviously passion, um, 
gets the best of, of people a lot of the time. But you know, he was there was that whole thing where he tweeted the address of uh, uh, like Trayvon Martin's killer's house, which ended up not being correct. And then he is <laughs> like, you know, you just said like the way. These are little things. I mean, obviously, that has nothing to do with his filmmaking. But um, the man has a lot to little, say. There are little things yeah. that that get swept up in your overall perception of, of somebody as, especially a public figure like that. There's the fact that he, during the Kickstarter video, that someone who got a three hundred thousand dollar prize with no strings attached from the Gish Foundation in 2013, immediately turned around and asked for more than a million dollars of the, the public's <laughs> money to uh, to make and a Steven movie. I mean, Soderbergh just, is one of those right right and claimed you know claimed not to have any idea what Kickstarter was and that his students brought it to his attention and I believed him I mean like I really I felt like this was a guy who was sort of you know the the cinematic laureate of Brooklyn who now lives on the Upper East Side and and so I went into the sweet blood of Jesus with a fair bit of trepidation and I think this is uh, far and away the most exciting fiction movie that he's made in i guess 12 years now i mean i think it it looks and feels a little bit like red hook summer although it is worth pointing out this is not a new york movie i i especially premiering the first new york iteration of this film festival i thought it was going to be a new york movie the opening credits are someone dancing you know all around brooklyn neighborhoods and big new york knicks and red hook sign and you're like okay we're and then 95 percent of the movie takes place on these grounds in martha's video i feel like he made a big deal in the kickstarter the fact that he was going to like shoot this around town and right. it's going to be one of these throwback films, like, do the right thing. We're going back to New York. But, I mean, that's <laughs> basically what... a good deal to shoot in Martha's Vineyard? Yeah, well, I, I mean, like a, a lot of it, for then... me, this movie is like a Neil LeBute play in some ways. Um, because it's all taking place in this one... I mean, a majority of it takes place in a house. And it's basically yeah, these, it's... this two-person dynamic. And it's very much about the male experience for at least for me right there's so much weird shit going on that it doesn't feel quite as confined as a neil labute movie although i think that that description is you know accurate i think um the movie is deeply strange (laughs) this is an off kilter film and that can be really worrying especially in the first 20 minutes it's totally erratic there is a constant and bizarre soundscape it's not just a bruce hornsby piano which is weird and how it's layered in the movie to begin with but also it's extremely melodramatic and like he's panging on the on the keys right after every line at some points and then you and he solicited he solicited music from uh from the public and he used eight or 12 their songs and there are uh you know there's over the top violence there are scenes well, that I, David, uh, the I, tone I, shifts erratically and so instead of jumping into like a full review here i'm more curious about how this kind of sat with you in terms of spike lee's other films because that's what he was really bringing to the table in his kickstarter for this you know i rewatched red hook summer uh not you know yesterday and that's like a wonder years episode in some ways and you know that's the movie that i think he thought was going to be like do the right thing all over again and this is something wildly different um and 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 better for it i think that uh you wish old boy could be a little more like uh, <laughs> the sweet blood of jesus in terms of how vicious it can be and and how crazy and nonsensical i think i should stress that too i mean i didn't love the sweet blood of jesus because this movie is ridiculous at times and has some tonal it's tonally erratic um but in a that's, way that that's I'm, what i I'm love about it, by it yeah no i uh, definitely uh, but old boy doesn't take those chances there's no filmmaker in old boy for me 
Right. I, I agree with that completely. I don't think old boy takes any chances. But the um, the thing about the sweet blood of Jesus, I, why I do think it's a, a part of Spike Lee's filmography, it is, as the credits state, an official joint. <laughs> they make it sort of a – the movie opens with this really sly fuck you to old boy um, is that – Ultimately, for me, this is a movie about how violence can be seductive, but is ultimately destructive. And um, I think as wild and zany as the movie gets and with a wink and a nudge as it, as it does it, this is not a filmmaker out of control. Uh, and you really get that sense with Rami Malek's uh, hilarious uh, but manservant character. <laughs> um, but I think strangest uh, char- What is with this guy taking roles that have like one or two <laughs> lines? Is he not escalating to stardom here? He Again. has a bunch of lines. He plays a big. I mean, like there's a scene. There's a scene on the uh, we won't spoil it, on the beach involving an umbrella, which That's I think true. is just like genius <laughs> physical comedy. Uh, Can he keep he, his umbrella in his hands when the wind is blowing? That's that's like the name like of a, a Spike Lee movie, actually. Yeah, that's the name of like a Hong Sang Soo movie. Yeah. But this feels <laughs> like a Spike Lee movie to me. It really does. Um, I, I think you know, Patches was saying about his Kickstarter and being like, "This is gonna be a New York movie." Um, one way or the other, it does feel like a Spike Lee movie. It feels like an unsupervised film that he, you know, you can make a million and a half dollar movie that still feels like it has so many different cooks in the kitchen, but this really feels like no one said no to Spike Lee, and for better or worse, and for, in my mind, mostly for better. Right, that's that's uh, the magic of Kickstarter, right? That he set out yeah. to make this movie that no studio would ever touch, and it has to be made by people who love Spike Lee movies, and it's very much a movie that could only yeah. be made by those people who would give him approval to be so wacky. And I remember, you know, after we left the screening, I saw some really negative reviews of the sweet blood of Jesus, and uh, which is disappointing to me because I think while it doesn't always work, it's taking a lot of chances. And it's a small movie. It's like a return to form, some crazy form that Spike Lee possesses. Maybe, maybe not even form, just mindset. And I would urge people when this one kind of surfaces to uh, to give it a chance and to Any kind of put let's put old boy behind how us. This movie will emerge. I mean, the same way Red Hook Summer emerged, I would say this movie will be on Netflix like tomorrow. I imagine, <laughs> um, and I would urge people to watch Red Hook Summer. I would give that movie another chance. I don't really know what. I think people were kind of um, burnt out on Spike Lee, or at least his hoopla surrounding Red Hook Summer. That's a movie I'd give another chance if people would. I mean, he was going to Ranger Games recently, so <laughs> it's hard It's hard for me to really be mad at him, but it, it's really difficult. As we saw when he introduced the film yesterday, and like he was like, uh, like a zombie. Yeah, watch uh, the movie. You know. Just watch the movie. Uh, it's hard to tell how enthusiastic he was. You know, I didn't really see him like you know, pumping his fist at the Ranger Games, then maybe that would have made me less over him. But, I, you know, I'm, I, I think Spike Lee is, when he is being Spike Lee, is a, 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 you know, a positive force in the community, in the film community, in the Brooklyn community, whatever. And is a good person to have around. So, so I'm glad he's yes, doing his thing. Uh, the Sweet Blood of Jesus definitely coming out in theaters on VOD at some point. Probably watch Ganja and Hess because uh, after watching a ton of it today, uh, it's almost exactly the same movie, but much more black exploitation and much darker and weirder than The Sweet Blood of Jesus. And you can watch that on Fandor, uh, a site that I would highly endorse. So, uh, yes. Ganjan Hess, The Sweet Blood of Jesus, Spike Lee, something, something, something.
while David might be trolling Twitter, telling people that they shouldn't be so cynical about the Transformers series, I'm going to be. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm the, the first, first person to ever troll Twitter by telling people to be less cynical. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying to take away from your your impact here, but um, I'm still. I do not like the Transformers movies. The first three are. I mean, I think I liked the first one when it came out, but since two and three, I've really just lost any enjoyment of those films. And But yet, yet, I want people to know that I'm going into uh, Transformers with an open mind. Is that really still the title? No, it's not Transformers. It's Transformers Age of Extinction. The um, amount of restraints for them to not make it Transformers. It's, it's like, commendable. Years, years in the making. Like Maybe during that's, Transformers 2. They're yeah. like, this is the thing we can't do in five years. I'm clinging to that. That's what's keep giving me hope. Well, that, that's what I'm trying to say here. I have hope for Transformers 4. I want something to happen. I want to have my whole life turned around in terms of the Transformers trilogy. I just want, all of a sudden, I want it to be great. Um, but I turn it to you guys. Uh, what is going to make this either great if you have not enjoyed the first three Transformer movies, or if you're like David, what what could actually be? I mean, I, I think movies you like, you're still wary of a fourth installment. What are we adding here? What are we adding to the conversation? What could make Transformers four great for you? And and maybe this is a a way to get to a broader conversation, not in this mini segment, but to to just bigger ideas here about a fourth installment. How can this be good? Dave, I'm, I'm pointing to you first. Yeah, well, I think it's also interesting because Transformers is such a unique property in the sense that it really has no greater meaning to serve. It's not like, you know, a series of vampire movies like Resident Evil where I'd rather them <laughs> get closer to the mythology. It's literally than getting like a new pack movie. of gack. Right. So your gack I guess got for... dust all over it because it always gets that goop and like collects dirt, your and now you need a whack. new gack. Get a new pack. And there you go. See, Matt that's Transformers. <laughs> Put that on the poster. <laughs> uh, but I think that the strength for me in Michael Bay's Transformers movies, because I actually do like uh, to certain degrees all three of them. Uh, I think the third one's the strongest is because even when they have moments that are ridiculous, Michael Bay commits to those moments. So we could have stupid moments like Bumblebee peeing on John Turturro, which is just a joke that shouldn't be in there. But he's never laughing at the premise in like a meta-ironic way when he so easily could because they're robots that turn into muscle cars for no reason. And 4 is going to get weirder because why would anybody scan a dinosaur like as a from a robot planet? So... As long as you just commit to your ridiculousness, I feel Transformers could go on forever because then you, you're not more down by plot or character <laughs> please, or anything. Please don't say that. I just did. Oh. Yeah, I think to echo what Dave was saying, part of the reason why I like this franchise is it's not because people don't give a shit about it, but I think the fact that people don't give a shit about it reflects why I like it, which is that it's not beholden to all the other nonsense that I think is equally ridiculous that uh, all these other movie franchises that people, you know, the movie community as we know it sort of takes as as law um, and it, so it can reinvent and retcon and whatever the hell it else wants to do because no one can follow the story to begin with with every movie uh, and, and, I, uh, and I enjoy that. I have a simple and- recommendation. Um, it needs to be 
better. It needs to be better at being funny. I feel like the first step of hiring Mark Wahlberg is a really good direction to go in. I hope that he is as funny as he is in the trailers where he says, I think we found I a Transformer. I think we found a Transformer. God, if that can just be the entire movie, I will be blissfully happy. Um, but not just, you. Not you. And not you. Yeah, basically. Sorry. If he can also uh, just hire someone else to write the jokes. Like, I think... Uh, Orsi and Kurtzman essentially have said all of the worst jokes are blowing Michael Bay. Where is where is the knows? Bruce Valanche of the Transformers? <laughs> yeah, get your punch up team. I mean, <laughs> time travel. Get get when Joss Whedon was doing punch up work for scripts and just do that. Yeah, um, clearly like Pat Oswald really is too busy these days because he was Mister Punch Up Man at some point, but. Yeah, he, any really anybody who could uh, talk Michael Bay out of his worst jokes. Although I think the point of Michael Bay is that he's such an egomaniac, he can't be talked out of these things. So you kind of, it's kind of like James Cameron's bad dialogue, like you get one with the other. Um, but if they can just have humor that is actually works, you, I think the spectacle and kind of the mind-numbingness of it all could be more enjoyable just because there would be a <laughs> Will never happen. Yeah. No, it will never happen, but that's my will, The better question Michael is Bay. which race, which race will come under fire in, in Transformers <laughs> 4? Like, I, who will this movie I, be racist toward? Yes, exactly. Oh, The racism um, aside, the, ra- the indefensible racism, racism aside. Racism there, there, aside. No, there is a... Uh, this is not going to be offensive to the Chinese. Obviously, they're way too no, uh, important not. to... Right. There, but there's... There is certainly room in my life to take two hours and 40 minutes out every other year for humor this appallingly stupid. (laughs) I mean, we do talk about it for like three years at a time, so this is good. We need right. the fuel. So, you know, I, I will never, ever go to bat for the racist shit, especially in the second one. But, um, you know, the jokes that – the brand of humor that has run through the series, I, I don't think it's ever made me laugh. I don't think I've ever found it <laughs> funny, but I've laughed at it Those in, in my own way. I really chuckled. When we see this like, movie, if you're laughing. It's so – it's so – like I'm laughing at – the idea that there's a 13 year old boy somewhere in the world that actually thinks this is funny. Hey, his name <laughs> is Aaron Kruger, and he wrote The Ring. Respect. <laughs> yeah. How so would you John's fix it, Patches? Right? How, how, Patches, you got to fix the franchise. Yes, here. I will wrap this up. I, I, I probably am hitting what you and David have said, but I, I almost have to go with David's. Like, we have to get um, post human here, right? We, it just has to be Transformers at some point. It should just be an animated movie. It should just be Transformers the movie, and they should fight Unicron, and it should be Orson Welles again. Like, they should repurpose <laughs> oh, all Oh, they're going to bring him back? All the vocals. Re- Orson, Orson Welles? Like, Is Sky Orson Captain available? and the Day of Tomorrow, Orson Welles, and make him the bad guy again. That's oh what I want. Oh, my God. Hi, I'm meeting kids again. (laughs) (laughs) I just watched Red Hook Summer. (laughs) Um, 
Okay, so partially in honor of Transformers Age of Extinction, which you would think based on like a cartoon, which has iterations out now, I believe. Dave, I feel like you know this. Does, are there current Transformers cartoons happening? Good Lord, yes. There's, yes. Okay, there's like tons. And I think they're actually rebooting it. I think it's happening again. Like in a five-year span, there's going to be a new Transformers cartoon. Um, kids, Man, you don't even know what you're <laughs> dipping your toe into kids when you love, talk about Transformers Kids continuity. love Transformers. And they love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which has a movie this this summer and they they love a lot of things but you know what's funny i was just at a wedding talking to like this seven-year-old kid the ring bearer um that's his name and um he i, I asked him because I'm, I'm fascinated like what are i said mr bearer <clears throat> mr bearer mr bearer uh what what movies are you into because like what are kids actually watching these days i'm i i've been thinking about this since the lego movie honestly how terrified was this child oh this kid was running away from me but i grabbed him by the hand and i said what movies you're watching um and he told me very kindly uh he loves the hobbit his the hobbit is his favorite movie and uh, he can't wait for hobbit 3 but he didn't know it was coming out this year but i'm sure that would happen at some point what he's really excited for this summer is planes 2 fire and rescue a movie that I doubt any of us are going to see, which I've definitely been invited to see. I'm just not going to see it because I... Call child services. Who is raising <laughs> well, that's, So that, that, that was the exact reaction I've had. control what kids like, man. Well, that's, I, well you um, can. Damn well the parents sure can. <laughs> Culturally aware people can help kids watch great movies, right? Or But the, here's the problem. And I, I thought this during the Lego movie, which I, I got really... I, I was really depressed after the Lego movie, which is a very good movie. But um, when Batman and Superman and Green Lantern and Wonder Woman showed up in the Lego movie, I got really sad that kids love comic books and they love cartoons and we don't make movies for them at all. And And these kids deserve superhero movies. They deserve... Crazy Transformers movies. They deserve a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie where a, a New York skyscraper isn't falling over and millions of people are going to be threatened to die. Um, My office building. They're going to kill me. Wait, why are why are children entitled to good movies? They're entitled to good movies to because good they movies? need to like good movies. They need to become us snobs, and they need to they need to know that those kind of movies can be made on every level. And I think that uh-huh. adults really cherish uh, kid entertainment. Because they want to remember the good times of movies and the good blockbuster entertainment, and, and we're taking it away from them in some ways. And now, when I brought this kind of concept up, David, you you snapped in and said um, that we shouldn't have kids' movies in quotes at all. And I agree. And that's the sort of thing that Planes and Planes Two kind of falls into me. It's like pandering entertainment for kids. Um, is there anything out there that we think is acceptable for children? I don't think we need to have to children to know that. I want your example of when they were making these kinds of superhero and Transformers movies for kids before. Well, I mean, we're celebrating the the 25th anniversary of Tim Burton's Batman, a movie that I think is a turning point for that kind of thing. Um, Cele- celebrating. So, some people are celebrating it. Snobs like David who don't believe in... buy a cake? You don't believe in anniversary nostalgia, I People are celebrating oh it. I'm not saying we are. <laughs> okay, it's the anniversary. <laughs> Is that why you've been drinking tonight? <laughs> yes, I've, I'm th- I, I opened champagne in honor of Tim Burton's Batman. Congratulations, you done it. You done it once. Um, so did his accountant. <laughs> but the, I think that was a, a definite turning point for 
superhero movies, obviously, and 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 genre entertainment as something that could play to mass audiences. The whole story behind Batman is that everyone thought it was going, you know, Batman could only be the kind of kitschy comic entertainment of the Adam West years until producer Michael Uslan came along and he bought the rights and he turned it into this gothic Batman. Um, and slowly but surely we lost the ability to make comic book movies or big movies for kids. And uh, more and more you see people kind of disparaging The Goonies, a movie that I don't really like, but I also think might be a lot of fun for young people. Um, and, and I believe that a movie can be that. I believe a movie can be for young people without being a quote-unquote kids movie. Um, it doesn't have to cater to adults. It doesn't have to serve both audiences to still be a quality well, You film. mean... You don't have to look any further than than Miyazaki's films, which I think are sort of the, the gold standard of movies that it's are. It's certainly up uh, there, but I mean, that's that's still walking a pretty fine line. I mean, Spirited Away and, and Howl's Moving Castle, for instance, I think are pretty mature. I, I don't know if I'd show a young kid that. I'm trying to envision, like, one day I will have a I, kid who is, who is six or seven years old, and what will I show them? You know, there are people who probably listen to the show who have kids, and I, I'd be curious about what you're, you're raising your kids on. But I often worry about knowing what I would show a young person right now. And I don't I mean, know if I'd I show them Miyazaki. I don't, I I don't know if I'd go to, to Miyazaki, Miyazaki right yeah, I think that when people were celebrating the Pixar, the rise of Pixar back when Pixar made good movies, they were talking about how these are movies that, you know, you could watch with your kid. You'd hear this all the time. You could watch with your kid, but they would uh, be really designed for adults and they would satisfy all parties in their own ways. And I think, you know, those Pixar movies all aspire to, to do what Miyazaki would. So I, I know you don't want to corner this into like talking about particular filmmakers necessarily, but when I think of the the ideal that you're talking about, that's what I think about. The thing about kids' movies, and especially when you have little kids, is you can show them whatever you want to. I mean, I watched like the original <laughs> The Shaggy Dog movie from the 60s, or the original Flubber. What the hell was it called? It wasn't called Flubber. Whatever it was. Um, all these movies that my parents liked when they were kids, and you know, then the Disney movies that came between then and The Little Mermaid, and that was just... The movies we watch, you can show them anything you want, but you also... They don't know any better. Yeah, well, and you can't keep them from watching Cars either. I mean, no matter how good a taste you might have, your kids may still fall in love with You can keep them from watching Cars. That's you can't. They're going to go to super parties boys. eventually. Oh, no. Well, you couldn't, like... I think by the time we have kids... Maybe the smoke will have cleared. Although, you know, cars. Be I think cars we might three. be able to keep our children from cars, but we'll, whatever the next thing will be. David's will be kids already so. hate cars. <laughs> oh my god! That's, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. They already hate Marvel movies. My, That's the amazing thing. My hypothetical wife's stomach every night during the pregnancy. Be like, you hate Marvel. You hate cars. <laughs> Frozen is bad. We're, we're watching Sans Soleil again. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Baby Einstein's. <laughs> Never mind. My children are going to be a menace. You just wait, America. <laughs> no, they're going to be so judgmental of all of us when they're like five. But don't don't you want modern film to at least produce something that you could show kids? Like I understand. Oh yes, we have the classics. The magic of Blu-ray. The magic of streaming allows us. You know, Netflix is flooded with classic Disney. Um, but you don't want just that, right? You don't want your own nostalgia flooding your kid's mind. You want something modern, no, and I think something that speaks to them worse. on the level of technology and production value that uh, that they'll be growing up with. You know, I just I think yeah. Well, 
flooding kids with nostalgia is almost worse than having to go see planes because you're, you know, if you're teaching a kid to only care about original Star Wars, you're alienating them from the generation that they're growing up around. I mean, that might make right. them cool, but it's also going to, you know, deprive them of, you know, whatever the frozen of the year is, where it's something that's actually worth Well, it. that might not be a bad thing, but... I mean, whatever. Let your kids see I mean, Frozen. Uh, if, you're, if you're depriving your children of seeing Frozen and you're listening to this, you're being an asshole. Get over it. Let your kids see Frozen. It's that's fine. A, it is a fine movie. That's a weird line for you to draw patches where you're like, why can't we have movies for everybody, but we can't talk about Frozen? No, I'm not saying we can't talk about it. I'm just being a troll. Dave, you have a, za- uh, you have a, a thousand thoughts on this please yeah where do you want me to start i don't even know probably adventure time but no no, go beyond that i mean adventure time would be like the ending the thing is is there's always a period of time in throughout cinema history where things are i mean i'm sorry no matter what period of time you pick in cinema history there's been movies that are being produced that a child will find interesting whether it be like, you know, I, I grew up watching Charlie Chaplin when I was really, really young because that's safe and it's physical comedy. And that sort of leads emotionally into like Looney Tunes. But you could also go back and do like, you know, a trip to the moon if you really want to. It's short subject. It's cra- got some crazy visuals. And I think you could follow that all the way up. So it's like just because... You know, people wonder why I never let Brave go. It's because we gave that the best animated picture over Paranorman, which I thought was like had the potential to be a modern animated classic for a group of kids who felt like outsiders in the world. And I thought it was really well made and had all these great production values. And then, hey, this Your Mom's a Bear movie comes along. Oh, my God. You know, wait, are I'm, you I'm, wait, no, no, wait. Okay, okay. I won't get as deep into Brave that did as not I hurt might have. Paranorman. <clears throat> I'm just saying, no one's going to remember that was the year Paranorman came out because it's the year Brave won the Oscar, but neither here nor there, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely stuff out there that's being produced, I think, beyond the level. It's like, nobody wants your kids to be watching Ice Age. You take them to Ice Age because it's something that they can do, that they want to watch. And, you know, everybody will have, every parent's going to have that tape or DVD or video on the iPad app now that they can't they won't they can't listen to another time because the kids just has it on loop but i think if they're engaging with like storytelling and a good thing you're like my parents made me watch the afi top 100 movies well it started off with made me because like there's some slow stuff on there but there's also great films that had you know monumentous filmmaking and i hadn't yet been uh jurassic parked and cg'd out by the things like the Marvel movies or, you know, gigantic superhero movies or Transformers movies, which are kind of shooting above, I think, the age that you could, like, really develop a love for cinema. But I think there's a ton of stuff in, like, that sweet spot that, you know, just isn't really being seen across the spectrum because, you know, we want to focus as adults on our crazy superhero movies that are showing us stuff that we thought we wanted when we were kids when really we could have just, you know, had a great time with, you know, Casablanca if right. we were really paying attention to what was going on. Yeah, I, I, I really fear... I have a question fear... for you regarding oh, the, uh, the superhero movie thing. Do you not think that Marvel's attempts to make, you know, 800 television shows based on these characters will result in one really good TV show about these things for kids? No, 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 no. Yeah, no, that's not... I mean, I, I don't think it will, 
honestly. I, you know, we... You're turning like, into David's children, Jesus. I know. I, I was born from <laughs> I've got some bad news for you, Batches. Um, <laughs> raise me. Uh, no, I, I, you know, I, we are so, we're like froth over Jurassic Park, right? Because it's like the perfect blockbuster Every shot seems right. It's just, like, thrilling us to this day. We sold in 3D last year, and we still lost our shit over it. It's a perfect blockbuster. Why? Why is it so good? Um, and is there anything that we can compare to it? Because I don't want to show my kids um, old I, – I mean, I want to show my kids old movies, but, like, I don't want to be lost in my own nostalgia for something like Jurassic Park. I want something out there that can play for all audiences. And, and maybe I'm confusing Jurassic Park – for something that can skew younger. I'm trying to think of, like, the first Um, PG-13 movies that I saw. I just think, like, Marvel movies are so lost in their own logic, and a lot of our our blockbusters are using childish... I mean, this is a YA argument, too. This is what everyone lost their shit over for Slate, right? Um, That whole argument about YA and only adults reading YA... Uh, it's it's still targeting an older audience, even though it's using the iconography and the language of younger people. I just want to make sure, and I want there to be something that young people can indulge on, spectacle that they understand that um, isn't too scary or isn't too complex. And uh, and I, I think, think someone brought up okay. how to train your dragon, um, which I'm I fear is the same thing. I fear it's still for adults. Um, and, and, you know, I am the biggest proponent of animation for mature audiences. I wish we could have more of that for adults, uh, American-produced animated films um, that are more sophisticated. But I still want there to be something for young people. So what would be the last animated film made in America you'd think did was like, good for kids and also good? Probably Wally or Ratatouille. Like the last, the last good Pixar movie. Oh yeah, just skip over Paranorman because Dave didn't just <laughs> well, show you that that was the answer. Paramor- Paranorman, yeah, no, Paranorman Let's is talk a great about film. Some more Paranorman, about how that was horrible. Paranorman's a great film, but I do think that it's something that is more. That's like the Ralph Bakshi animation. That's the closest thing that we have than, to adult animation. You think it's less for kids than like Goonies? Yeah. I do, I, because it's so much scarier, um, and because you we, are it crazy. starts introducing yeah, like crazy. you were not a kid when you saw Goonies. If you think that Paranorman, I should watch Paranorman scary. again. I should definitely watch Paranorman again and, and vet that for my future children. Like having an actual, <laughs> you should get on. I that should allow my sperm to watch <laughs> Paranorman now. just to like. There's no way that <laughs> Paranorman is scarier than Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park scared the hell out of me as a kid, and that's You're why right. I liked it. You're right. But, like, what, okay, let's go earlier than that, though. Like, what movies, like, what do you show a kid? What do you show a a six-year-old, an eight-year-old kid if you want them to be culturally savvy? Like, if you want them to go up on the David path, let's say. You're not, you're not gonna like this answer. Are you ready for it? I am ready for it. It's brave. The Hobbit is not a bad, it's not a bad movie. The first Hobbit movie is not, it's not a bad, it's not a bad answer. You're right. Because, look, hey, what happens is... You love the first Hobbit, and then you watch the second Hobbit, and then you watch the third Hobbit, and then the Hobbit's over, so you're going to have to watch Lord of the Rings, and oh man, maybe you'll read the book, and then maybe see the animated Hobbit, and It's boom, a gateway drug. There, that's where it is. Yeah. And that, like, that's what you're looking for. It's like the best case scenario of Phantom Menace, in some ways. 
Yeah, kids are kids are like super fans where it's like if they love planes, they're gonna get as much planes all the time when they need they like need it immediately. <laughs> Give me the and planes. So, the best the best thing you could do is loop them into like a subculture. Like the thing you start we started this conversation talking about Batman. The reason why uh, Adam West Batman works even to this day is because it was being broadcast and one generation was recognizing it was camp and the other generation was just too young to know that this wasn't how Batman always was. And so you grew these two different fandoms at the same time that saw it as like one is a meta text on Batman and superheroes and like the time that it was being produced. And the other is like, yeah, of course, you know, Mr. Freeze has a room that's just everything's lit blue. That's how that would work in this, you know, crazy universe. So if you could loop people in like a greater idea, I think that's much easier, which I think is why we're seeing, you know, basically everything move towards franchising. What I we might be losing and where I, you know, sort of think that your argument hinges on stuff like Paranorman is we're losing those sort of like one shot movies that are an expression of something for somebody like we don't have movies that are just like the sandlot without the sandlot two and the sandlot five and the sandlot <laughs> the new lot Wasn't the there new a lot two? there is no it's yeah, i think it's direct to dvd two. yeah but like now that we're living in this world of unkillable franchises it's like you don't get the one shots except for a paranormal right the, the real victims are children in that case I still I, I have guilt over liking the Lego movie. Why? I don't know. I just feel like that should be like kids don't deserve to only see Batman in the goofiest way possible. Like you either have to choose basically R-rated Batman or the Lego movie which is dumb Will Arnett Batman. That sucks. That's interesting. That I sucks. Like that's well, change. I mean, but it won't change. That changed. will not together. How can that possibly so? change? How can that possibly change when there's obviously like a seven year plan in place for Ben Affleck, Ben Hooflick to play Batman? You don't think there can be well, a Batman animated series at the same time as the Affleck movies? Wait, 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 wait. There is Batman the animated series, one of the greatest superhero animated series of all time. Like tons better than X Men the animated series, which you did a oh my god oral history of recently, by the way, but. Like that that still exists and we're talking about kids with iPads, so they're they're have as much access to that as Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice is for us, <laughs> the people that didn't didn't get I to think see this is the first time that, that has been said on the podcast. Batman vs. Super Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice? Like Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. I, I forgot they were going to the Supreme Court in this one. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that is not verse. I've written it a lot. David's been silent because his children are doomed. Yeah, I was just uh, taking that all in, <laughs> staring off into the future. Your kids yeah. are going to love Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, David. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, what are you going to do? Abort them? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Obvious child in theaters now. <laughs> My name is Optimus Prime. That does it for today's... Oh, God I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My my cat started, started pooping. <laughs> I'm worried about your cat. Cat. So there's double oh pooping. God. God damn it. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm sorry. Go, go, go.
That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back on Friday to review Transformers and hopefully fight with David as much as we did last time because that was fun. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I write all across the internet, and I try and put everything on mattpatches.com, which is my Tumblr, if you were on Tumblr. And I am uh, uh, on Twitter, at Mr. Patches. And remember, every episode of the show we put up on our, our website, fightinginthewarroom.com, and we have comments, and you can tweets and all sorts of things. Uh, go there and, and participate in this podcast. It is a user experience, fightinginthewarroom.com. I'm David Ehrlich. I am the editor-at-large of a magazine called Little White Lies. I also write for The Dissolve and the AV Club. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at Criterion Corner. Uh, and you can find... I started uh, an impromptu but obsessively updated because I have nothing better to do with my time. Tumblr of Mad Men Stills, which you can find at madmenstills.tumblr.com. Also, more importantly, you can find all of us together on Facebook. Right on our wall, talk to us at Fighting in the War Room where we can chat about things. Whatever you want. Boys, girls. It's all game. Hmm. I'm trying to think about if we're plugging our Mad Men tumblers, what should I be plugging? I'm Dave Gonzalez. <laughs> we're not all plugging our Mad Men tumblers, unfortunately, because oh. we don't all have, suddenly have Mad Men tumblers that we oh, made wait, this weekend. Oh, wait, you didn't just wake up and have that yesterday? I thought it was assigned to no. That's a good point, but now I would be the person not plugging my Tumblr. Oh, but my, my name is Dave Gonzalez. Spell my first part D A seven E. It's also my Twitter handle. I write about superhero movie news and Star Wars at latino-review.com. Uh, I have a Tumblr called hollowstarsreviews.tumblr.com where I review things randomly with little drawings. There we go. That'll work. You should give us a call at 914-410-6450 and let us know your song of the summer. Or, if you remember that far back, do your Nicolas Cage impression. I will be reaping these next week. Do it now. 914-410-6450. Dave, we forgot to plug our other podcast. <laughs> it's fine. I'm sure it'll do well all by itself. And you'll be Dave, hearing about Mad it Men for Tumblr weeks. Is more important. That was like viral yeah. marketing for it. We're not going to say what it is. Be wanted to find out. That's right. Ooh, mysterious. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. I don't really understand how to use Tumblr, but tweet about attractive soccer players. And I have a lot of feelings about how the American team is way behind, so we can talk about that. Or you can find me doing real work at Vanity Fairs Hollywood. And uh, all that tweeting is happening at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H. That's also a place where you can find the entire podcast at F-I-T-W-R, where we talk about a lot of things, including this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Begin Again, what actor slash actress, not known for musical talent, surprised you with a musical performance in a movie? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back transforming into robots on Friday. Robots in disguise.